Hello, I'm Zach Robichaud. And I'm Jackie Mignot. You're listening to The Podcast Made Flesh. Conversations about an embodied faith. We are coming to you from self-isolation, Zooming with people to talk about the incarnation. We're not reporters or experts, but we are questioners. And we are on a quest to have a conversation around the central Christian belief that God became flesh. flowing like a river, how do we as Christians have a thinking, pay attention to, and maybe to some degree a responsibility to help that money flow so it can flow more evenly? Having, having wealth can really eliminate a lot of other anxieties that you, that you may have, but there are some that it can't, right? I mean, and I think of you know, health issues that, that could come along. And you, you, you often see people that this, these, these health issues strike them as like this massive crisis because they, they don't have control. All right. Well, we are on episode nine podcast made flesh listeners um and this week we're talking with our friends brad and jeff who uh both work in with money and we wanted to talk about money because there's this sense of we talk about what it means to be embodied christians um and we can talk about all sorts of aspects of that but there's this one underlying thing in all of our lives, uh, that is what we do and how we live with money and the tool of money. So we just wanted to have a conversation about this. I think the dominance that money has in our, in almost every system that we're a part of, it seems like it mm. takes preeminence in every conversation, every board meeting, every, and, and so money takes, is of such importance. How do we then uh, truly image a God or allow God to live through us if um, maybe that God is a different God <laughs> in, in our society. Mm. And so I think that yeah. it, it's a, it's a competing narrative that, um, and we do get into talking about systems, um, but I really appreciate how Brad and Jeff have really sought to use money as the tool and help people realize the use of money as a tool in a way that does reflect God at least in a better way than um, it's often used. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I appreciate that too. There's Jesus was maybe ambiguous about some things, but l- really there was no ambigu- am- ambiguity about what mm-hmm. Jesus felt about money. And so we, I just, yeah, we got to ask that question. And this conversation is not, what I think all of our conversations do is open up more conversations. So I, at the end of it, I was like, oh, but I want to talk about this and I want to talk about this. So there was even a longing in me personally to continue this sort of conversation about how to live with money and within the system well. So I'm Jeff Loomis. I work for a community organization called Momentum that is really focused on trying to have our local economy here in Calgary work better for everyone. And what drew me to the work was um, the idea that I really believe community work has um, both a level of sacredness and then um, can make a real tangible difference in our world and in our communities. And I believe that um, 
we can all each do our part. And I come from a background of relatively fairly significant privilege. And I kind of recognize that. And so for me, it was also a way to like, how can I use my privilege uh, to try and in a oftentimes a fairly small way, but I think meaningful way to try to improve our community so that um, more people have uh, positive opportunities. Mm. Um, just a quick question, how, uh, and we can get into this a bit more, but how does Momentum do that specifically? Is that a easy to answer question? Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, the, the quick answer is we work with people to get better jobs. And so we do employment training. We work with people to create their own job through uh, small business development. Yeah. And we work with people to be able to manage and save their money. So ultimately they can have the assets. We're a big believer in that without income, people can't get by, but without assets, people can't get ahead. And so mm. that's where we really focus on that issue of poverty, because we feel if our local economy can work better for everyone, ultimately it can lead to reducing poverty. And so we really feel that to reduce poverty in a sustainable way that need to look at both the income side uh, and the balance sheet side, which is the assets. I have more questions, but we'll get back to that. <laughs> Brad, how about, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us who and why you are? <laughs> Why I am? Uh, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll <laughs> see what I can do. Um, yeah, my uh, Brad Andrews. Um, I work in I work in impact investing. So uh, you know, it's the, the the space between your kind of traditional uh, you know run of the mill investments, uh, mutual funds, and so on, uh, and and the you know the philanthropic giving. So there's there's a, a big spectrum in between that space, which broadly defined can be impact investing. So. Uh, recently, I was working with um, <clears throat> with a firm, uh, a nonprofit that was launching a fund where we were going to be bringing in private investors to be you know, making investments into uh, social ventures uh, in Africa. So these would be ventures that are, um, you know, privately owned, um, but that are trying to to have you know some sort of deeper impact through their business. Uh, that's it's not just about profit generation. So that's that's the high level, I guess, of, of yeah, kind of what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I guess I came to this. You know, I was I was involved in nonprofits for a number of years, and um, you know, got a little bit a little bit tired of seeing um, kind of you know the this cycle of um, I don't want to call it money grubbing, but the <clears throat> how that kind of drives a lot of what the, you know what these organizations are doing, and they're trying to do really good things, but um, but they often get stuck at this uh, you know, at the funding piece and and can end up living there a little bit more than they might want. Um, so seeing some of these alternative models that were out there and, and and potential to have you know actual impact through some of the systems that are already in place, mm -hmm. um, and there's there's all of this capital out there that is uh, you know all it's doing is generating more wealth for a small percentage. And if we can tap into that and leverage that to actually drive on the ground change or systemic change like Jeff is talking about and, and kind of shift the system a little bit, um, you know, the potential, you know, the potential impact for that kind of bottom of the pyramid um, population base uh, is is significant. So I studied my MBA with, with this in mind, trying to, to kind of leverage some of those tools from that kind of business world that um, you know, nonprofits uh, can kind of turn away from sometimes but to, to bring those into this kind of gray space in between to, to see how that can have that that longer term impact 
Well, thank you. Yeah. That's that's good. Did you have something? So Jackie, well, just yeah. one thing as um, nonprofits kind of live in a starvation cycle, as um, mm. Brad said, like uh, we often do struggle with um, acquiring enough funds, capital money to be able to make uh, impact at scale. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the people that work at nonprofits have to struggle in that like starvation scarcity mode. So like the one other thing with like uh, being drawn into the sector to work, the so social profit sector is it doesn't mean that um, people are saints. Like I'm as far from a saint as you can get. And, uh, and so one thing that drew me is because my aunt and uncle also worked in the nonprofit sector. It didn't make it weird that like you can actually have a salary uh, right. that's a reasonable, you know, career oriented salary and work in the nonprofit sector. Right. So having um, mentors and people in your life that uh, work in that space, that was as in, in some respects as much of a draw of working in that space than sort of the sacred and big meaningful Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's good. I think that's, um, yeah, I think there is a, a sense of nonprofits or anything that functions in that way. You, you're like, you must be a saint. I want to do this. I have a friend who runs a business and it's a social enterprise business. So she makes a living from it, but the, the main profit goes to um, another organization that supports women leaving trafficking in Bangladesh. And, and she has said, I am not a saint. I am, I'm a great marketer. That is, I am right. good at that. And so I'm going to do that. And this is a, an outcome from my great marketing skills. <laughs> right? right. So she's, and I love how honest she is about that. Mm -hmm. um, and in the same way, kind of like we were just saying, Brad, working in a system that's already existing to, to shift results a little bit for more people. Um, Anyways, Zach, did you have a question? Yeah, no, well, less less of a question than maybe a comment. What I've heard already is um, how we use our resources. You know, how can we use them in a way that is um, life-giving uh, to the community or to individuals? And so, you know, you're talking about education and privilege and the almighty dollar. So, um yeah, I think that's that's really the question about how or that's really what I've heard you guys say as far as how you came to this this kind of work. So how can you use it for good? We could call it the common common wheel or the commonwealth um, mm. as opposed to holding it for ourselves. So, yeah, I really like mm. that that idea. Or Jeff, you mentioned, you know, sacredness. Um, and I think we hold that everything is sacred. Um, it's just some some places, some things have been desecrated. What is it in particular about money uh, that can reveal sacredness? What yeah, is holy? Think, yeah. Yeah, I think there's money has goodness in it. And it's like anything that can have goodness and then can be used for for ill. And so one way I like to think of money that can... Um, be linked more easily into sacredness is like viewing money as a river. And so I think from a river flows and what, when money is being used in a place of rightness, it flows more evenly. And mm -hmm. so that we don't have some raging rivers where there's 
lots of money going through people's lives or going through maybe certain businesses and little trickles where people don't have enough or where there's huge dams where the, the water doesn't flow at all anymore and gets sort of clogged. Mm. And so that I think that um, when we take more of a Christian worldview, then we think of like, okay, where is that source of the river? And so whether that's in the, from a spring or from the mountains, but like we think of that source ultimately would be that money is provided uh, by God from that Christian worldview. And so I think if we keep that in mind of where is the source, and then we think of how money is flowing like a river, how do we as Christians have a um, thinking, pay attention to, and maybe to some degree a responsibility to help that money flow so it can flow more evenly. Mm. Um, so that's a way that I like to think from a metaphor standpoint of, of money and how it can be a little bit more easily, easy to think of it from a, a more of a sacred perspective. Mm. I like I, that. I, yeah, I like that analogy, Jeff. And I mean, you know, it, it kind of ties into what I was just thinking in terms of the you know, money in a lot of ways is like a proxy for value. And, mm. uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't hold the value itself, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's a means to an end ultimately. Right. Um, and so if we're, if we're not allowing that value to flow into certain communities, into certain um, populations, like I think we were in, you know, directly called to support the least of these, right. And uh, that there are people out there that are, that we're not showing that value to because we're not allowing them access. Um, and that might, that's not necessarily direct giving. It's not like we need to be, you know, imparting money into these communities necessarily, although maybe we do. Um, but thinking about the systems that are set up and how, you know, how are we allowing, um, you know, that that flow, like Jeff was saying, to to, to go or or not. Hmm. It it strikes me what both of you are saying is that there is. Yeah, I like this idea of understanding money it, because it has a value and it enables us to live well, within the system that is, we find ourselves. Um, I want, I'm, I'm wondering if you could speak maybe Brad and then Jeff about, about agency. So Brad, you kind of said you find yourself in the space between kind of like regular investment and philanthropy, which is, which is giving money um, and, and donating. What, where does, how does what you do kind of give agency to people? It's an interesting question because it it can increase the agency of uh, the beneficiaries, let's say, who are um, you know looking for goods and services that will that, that will serve them and that they can afford, so on. Um, but it it can also increase the agency of those with. Uh, with money and that you see this in philanthropy as well uh, you know as you know the, as the funders or as the investors uh, you get to decide what issues are important mm. uh, so you get to say you know what um, you know climate and gender are are the big you know hot topics right now so we want we want to see these investments going into projects um, or or companies that support gender issues and uh, climate change um, and that's not a sometimes it's societally driven but sometimes it you know that that individual who has accumulated a lot of wealth whether through ethical means or not now has the agency uh, as opposed to the 
the beneficiaries on the ground who mm. who maybe don't who are who are just needing and, and are not in a place to be to be driving those decisions. Um, and I think the models that I've seen that that are you know more more interesting and more kind of empowering of those populations really take a community approach and and a community engagement stance. And I think momentum fits into this where mm. they're they're going out and they're engaging with those beneficiaries and saying like what what are the actual needs um, and how can we um, you know, structure our systems to to serve those needs as opposed to the top-down um, right. directive. Yeah, that's no, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I would just add that money is a tool, and as a tool, um, as Brad said, it is heavily influenced by the degree of power. Hmm. And so, I do think that then where um, agency can come into effect is how to create more of a power balance um, with using money as a tool. So that's where I do feel that like people that have access to money or have more of that money, if you think of the analogy of the river, more money flowing by that when those people can keep in mind or remember where the source of that money is from and it's not really necessarily theirs mm. um, that then that can enable people to be more free with the money and allow it to potentially flow to other people uh, more broadly so that's where I do feel that that's why for me uh, coming from a, a position of relative privilege especially from a global context mm -hmm. um, that's where I do feel there's a bit of a call to try to shift some of the, the power aspect that can come with money. Right. What Jeff, when, when you are able to give people those tools to then use the tool of money, well, what, what does that do for them? How does that shift things in a real way? Uh, I think ultimately it's empowering. Like that's what I do feel that it's important. As I mentioned that, everyone needs to have savings. So there's nothing wrong, I think, with all of us having a little bit of a dam on whatever size of river that we have, whether mm. it's a, a big raging river or a small trickle creek, that we each need to dam a little bit. Because I kind of view, like, if you put up a little dam and you stop the flow of the money, so it's not just running right through your personal bank account, but you're holding some of it back for saving for a rainy day, that is really important and mm. is um, massively empowering. And we know from research that even emergency savings and what can seem like a small amount of emergency savings of only $500 has a huge impact on the level of evictions and the level of needing to take out really high cost loans right. that can create more financial stress for someone and then more stress on the family and all the neg negative implications of that. So that's where I do feel that by like with our work at Momentum, being able to work with people so they can boost their income from maybe earning more money through a better job or boosting their income through running a business, plus being able to also think about how to build savings uh, can truly be empowering for people. Mm -hmm. um, and so in a small way, it starts to sort of shift that power balance because it gives more agency to um, more people. Mm -hmm. I, I, like, I like how that also can can break people out of this kind of scarcity mindset that you probably see you know a lot of Jeff in that when when we're stuck in that you know 
that I have nothing um, space, it's it's hard to it's hard to think creatively. That's been scientifically proven. It's hard mm-hmm. to you know it's hard to develop ideas and figure out ways that you can actually can go out and uh, and and make a better living or have have more of a difference. And it, and it almost does kind of strip you of that agency uh, because you you have you have to be self focused is the is the, the sense right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we think of like the, the sacred side of money, I think um, scarcity and the opposite of abundance are absolutely critical factors to think about. And I think a position of scarcity, as Brad said, there's really good research now that shows in any position of scarcity, financial scarcity being a really obvious one is your brain just does not think as well. And you will make mm. worse decisions, regardless of your education background, regardless of your socioeconomic background, regardless of your cultural background. You just will not think as well. And I do think that 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 the negative side of scarcity, there's some probably benefit of scarcity is that when you when you get put in a position of scarcity, you think about how you can maybe protect yourself or protect the ones you love, especially if you think our position right now that we're in globally, uh, where we have this huge level of uh, fear, probably anxiety driven from uncertainty is that does create a position of scarcity uh, for all of us mentally. Mm-hmm. And then that can lead to hoarding like the weird toilet paper experiences we've seen. Um, right. But it can, so it, there's a lot of negative scarcity, but there's still some goodness there in terms of that. It's coming from a spirit of probably wanting to protect uh, mm-hmm. oneself, which maybe isn't as valuable, but at least family or people we care about. But I, I do think that um, we, we has, as a, from a Christian worldview, we have to be really careful with scarcity and to not get stuck on scarcity and to have a healthier view of grounded in abundance or in just the spirit of enough. Because mm. when we can just have enough, that means there's more for others. Um, and I think when we can keep in always in our mind of like, where does that flow of money come from? It's much easier to be operating from a principle of enough. And, and our, you know, our definition of abundance can, can really change when we, when we shift that, that, you know, mindset to you knowing where this is actually coming from and, and recognize and, and understanding what, you know, we can have an abundance mindset without having, an abundance of wealth in a, you know, in kind of the layman's terms, right? We can, mm-hmm. we can have enough uh, and have a sense of abundance, uh, which, which can really change how we, how we live out and how we engage with our, with our, you know, finances as well. Just want to comment and maybe this isn't a really fair question, but have we taken savings and substituted it for, or no, have we, have we taken community and substituted it for savings um, I mean, Jesus talks about, you know, building up storehouses and he's kind of anti-savings if you read it pretty literally. <laughs> I mean, it sounds really bad. Um, but if you, I mean, we're in a completely different system. We, we are far more individualistic and independent. Our wealth is like very siloed. Like you have married couples with two different bank accounts and you have, you know, more single people living alone, like, and so independent of their family, you know, their broader mm. family's account, whereas you go in different parts of the world and you have, like, you know, the compound family where you have, you know, 45 people and all the money goes into one pot. Um, and so, you know, one person having savings just doesn't exist. That doesn't, that doesn't compute. So, I mean, yeah. in our society, like, 
we're really talking about a really unique time in history where finance is really looked at through one kind of lens. Um, did you, you want to comment on that at all? Or I don't know. It's, it's not really a fair question because we're, it, it's difficult to take Jesus's words of money and transpose them into our, our current, you know, economics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. And in some ways, you know, it's almost like we've outsourced community to, to our government, right? We've just broadened that, that, um, that pool in, in a sense, right? I mean, you look at the crisis that we're in and, you know, what's happening is we are basically um, going to be transferring wealth from the people who are going to be taxed more heavily down the road and into the hands of the people who need it right now. Right. And that's just like yeah, a literal yeah. direct transfer of money, which is, mm-hmm. it's like this, um, you know, it, it, it's like a nationwide savings account that we're just drawing down um, for those who are, who are needing it. Um, but I, you know, on the, on the flip side of that, are we, are we missing something where we don't know the person who's, who we're pooling with and, and, and are we, you know, have we, have we lost something um, as a society where we're not having those kind of tangible, um, you know, embodiments of community? I think mm-hmm. there might be well, something and, there too. And are we, are we kind of holding control for ourselves rather than kind of sharing control a little and holding, holding that power a little bit more loosely when we look at, savings accounts. I mean, this is more of a critique of the system than kind of working within the system. You know, I have a savings account, so I mean, you know, guilty, Even. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> I don't trust God. <laughs> I have no friends, you know, so <laughs> um, it just seems like we're, we're holding power a little bit more for ourselves rather than, um, kind of trusting that our neighbor is going to look after us and that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I do think it's, it's challenging to take some of the biblical um, aspects of money and the economy and to translate them into our current times um, without recognizing the cultural influence that we're under, like capitalism, 400 plus year old system, uh, obviously quite a bit newer, than the time Jesus was walking around. Um, And I do feel that like the massive differences between the Western uh, democratic capitalist based model of economic transactions and the indigenous perspective from an economic and monetary standpoint is one of the huge reasons why um, there's the massive cultural clash that has been experienced in North America over the last three to 400 plus years. And so you take a capitalist system based on um, primarily self-interest, ownership and surplus. And it's a surplus that then can create opportunities for investment, profit. And the indigenous economy based much more on a gift-based economy, which is much more in the spirit of like the free flowing of money. And so there is a huge tension um, between those two systems, neither of them were probably the systems that would have been around um, at the time of Jesus. When you think of the Roman model, is still the economic model of the time, and not our capitalist model, but also nowhere close to 
a gift economy or even more of a collective based economy. Mm -hmm. So um, taking in the world aspects and applying other worldly thinking uh, definitely creates a tension point for sure. I, and I appreciate like even that we can say that, right? I think so my, um, I mean, it depends on who you're listening to in your social media groups. And I have like, all sorts in my social media groups, but you have the tensions of, you know, some people are like, burn it down. And some people are, are not like that. Um, and in terms of economic systems and, and how to hold this well, I think it's a big question and a big tension. And I let, I, one, really appreciate even just saying it's attention. And by nature of being attention, it's not easily solvable. It's, I mean, it's hard. There's, there's no, we, we are living in an imperfect system. I think we can all mm-hmm. yeah. acknowledge that. And there are people that are falling through the cracks and that, that may be caught if it, if it was more of a, like a literal community based um, approach, like, like Zach mentioned, but um, yeah, but how do we reconcile those two? I think is a, is a major question. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's a major question that is getting asked on a, you know, right now, like as we're, going through this crisis what mm-hmm. you know how can we ensure that everyone is being caught um yeah and that we're, that we're not losing those um and and how can we you know within our system that exists how can we hold things loosely enough that um that we can maybe replicate some of those aspects uh you know but i'm not, I'm not sure i don't, I don't know there's yeah. no answer obviously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i i think one way to deal with that tension, Zach, that you mentioned and, and trying to just reconcile that tension to a certain extent of around savings in particular is that if we think of what the re, the definition, the original definition of wealth was, and you used the word commonwealth before, and if you just take the word, just the wealth part, and from the old English, it just means well-being. And so then it's, you start to think around, okay, what leads to well-being well i'd say the absence of poverty and not having enough does not contribute to well-being but it doesn't necessarily mean that savings are bad but it's to what degree does the savings become potentially negative where it becomes more of the hoarding mentality that we've seen with some of the toilet paper over the last while so that's where it just takes discernment i think of like what's the right level of savings versus the right level of allowing the money to flow and I really think that on the opposite of savings, but it's a huge part of our Western capitalist model is the level of materialism. And I thought you were going to say the, debt. <laughs> no, but it's related to debt. It totally, yeah. it is related to debt, right? Yeah. As you yeah. think of what's a huge cause for debt, which is the opposite of savings, right? When you think of a balance sheet, it's like your debt or your, your assets. Mm-hmm. And so when you, a, a massive cost of cause of debt is overconsumption. Um, which is driven by the materialism that's pretty rampant in our Western capitalist model. And to me, I always think of the quote that is attributed to a bunch of different people, but it's, it kind of brings to light, like why it's so goofy or overconsumption behaviors that we all have tendency towards where it's like the quote is around, uh, we spend money we don't have on things we don't need to impress people we probably don't even care about. <laughs> and it, when you think of it that way, it's like, why do we spend money on a lot of pretty dumb things when we really think about it? Like, do we really need it? 
like, no, it's probably just a want. And is it a want that really makes a difference? Not necessarily. And so I, that's where I think, um, really needing to, um, just be more conscious about money and put more thought into money mm. is a way that we can deal with some of the tensions between, uh, Christian worldviews and this, the imperfect systems that, uh, we live in. Hmm. Yeah. And how we, how we choose to, how we choose to spend or how we choose to invest, I guess, also, you know, should be coming out of our, of our Christian worldview as well. Like you said, Jeff, you know, so it's not just, you know, it's even coming back to the savings. So, okay. It's okay to have some savings. Maybe we've landed there. Um, I don't know if Zach's on board yet, but uh, <laughs> maybe we've landed there. <clears throat> but what are those? So what are those savings sitting in? Are they, you know, are, are they sitting in a mutual fund that that's holding a bunch of corporations that are that are mm. you know, pillaging the countryside in pursuit of profit? Uh, you know, thinking about you know just making um, educated choices about how we how we use our assets and how we use our money um, can can influence. You know, a lot of different things as well. Uh, and it, it's not just drawing that line and then stepping back. We, we need to be more thoughtful. And I think we have a responsibility to be more thoughtful in our, our use of funds more broadly. Hmm. So, something that I've, uh, I mean, I, I've worked for nonprofits before. And what I found is that charity um, tends to hold those people with power or money uh, in power and that charity tends to maintain that and direct uh, the action of that money further down the river, we could say. Right. So uh, how is that shifting now? Cause I'm hearing a couple really interesting, I mean, from momentum and then uh, through impact investing, like it just seems like there's a little, there, there's a bit of releasing of power or empowering um, now, as opposed to here's $5, go buy some bread or here's a loaf of bread. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a very, there is a shift in power. And then is there also, are people with power actually giving up more power? Or are they still maintaining power and privilege? Because yeah. <laughs> when we I, say power, we say money, we're saying privilege. And yeah, yeah no, I totally, uh, agree with the perspective that the concept of charity, especially like very traditional charity, um, can be reinforcing a power dynamics. And, uh, and it's not that it's all bad, right? It's providing aid and, and much needed, uh, assistance to people that have more challenges or struggles. And that is definitely the root of charity. Um, primarily from Elizabethan England, really. Uh, and even the charitable laws in Canada are based on Elizabethan laws from 400 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. But there is a fairly significant shift that has happened with a number of charities uh, across Canada over the last number of years, where they are more focused on if the mission is to reduce poverty, as an example, then it can't only be about responding to the people living in poverty or on lower incomes and those immediate needs, but how to change some of the conditions or the causes of um, what 
contributes to people living in poverty. So if you think of that river metaphor that you used as well, right? It's like, how do you go actually go upstream and rather than only helping people get out of the river if they're drowning, go upstream and stop from some, stop people from getting in the river in the first place and actually stop some more people from being in that drowning condition. And so that's where, for our work at Momentum, that's why we're very focused uh, on how can we work at that individual level so that people can earn more money uh, through a better job or through a small business and how they can build their savings, which is empowering for them as an individual. But how can we have a role in working to try to change some of the bigger systems or factors that can maybe contribute to people having less and not having conditions of enough. And so for us, that's why we're very focused on how can we work to have more businesses in our local economy that really are trying to make both an economic impact, be a viable business, but also a social impact. Um, and there are leading businesses in Calgary that are really committed to really strong social responsibility. So think of a business like Fiasco Gelato, pay all their employees after they complete uh, the probationary period of living wage, which is much higher than the minimum wage. Uh, mm. And they have a very good benefits program so that their employees can really get by uh, and ultimately have the opportunity to get ahead. And then that's also why we've focused on how can we shift some policies, uh, public policies that may create opportunities for people to move out of poverty uh, or just reduce barriers that cause people to get into poverty. And that's where we had a role in working with a number of community partners on shifting the costs of high cost credit and payday lending in particular in our province. Mm -hmm. So that we, we in Alberta went from the most expensive province in Canada to get a payday loan. The government changed the rules for payday lending uh, about five years ago now. And Alberta is by far the most affordable place to get a payday loan to the point where the payday loan industry, it's not very profitable for them anymore. And they've shifted away from the payday loan product. And just in the first year of those payday lending rule changes, um, there was over $10 million in interest payments saved uh, and over wow. 100,000 Albertans were impacted. And the majority oh, yeah. of people using a payday loan either didn't have enough and that was their they were almost forced from a position of scarcity to use a payday loan or people that maybe were in a bit more of a debt uh, cycle because of some over consumer uh, behavior mm. so that's where i think a lot of charities are starting to think differently and then work differently so that um recognizing that to really make a difference at that mission level it can't be only about the individual change. And I do think that a lot of people with with significant financial assets are coming along on that journey and actually want to see some of the power dynamic change and not just um, cut the check as an example. And so I know with our work around payday lending, there was a, a number of um, fairly prominent philanthropists that are significant donors to a number of charities in uh, the province that were quite active in advocating for those payday loan changes. Hmm. Yeah. So, so Brad, could you speak to that too? Cause then it seems to me then you're on the, the, if Jeff's down here on the like individual daily life, you're on the, how do we invest in companies that are going to be doing these things? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's the same, it's the same thing. And I, I would just reinforce what Jeff's saying in that, you know, there's, 
there is a shifting mentality and people are recognizing that the, the aid model um, is, is not sufficient. It's necessary and it's not going anywhere. People are always mm. going to be in circumstances all over around the world where they need aid. Um, but I think what we are seeing is, is I think we're moving away from, there used to be this kind of the, the lazy poor mentality, mm. right? Fallacy that, um, you know, the, the poor are poor because they're not working or they don't, they don't work as hard as I do. Um, and they, they've kind of brought this on themselves. So we'll, we'll help them out. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, what, what do people want? They don't want a handout. They want a job that pays them reasonable wages so that they can provide for their family and live, uh, you know, normal quote unquote life. Right. That that's, well-being that's, that's what idea. everyone wants. Yeah. That's what everyone globally is, is looking for. We see that mm. in Africa and the communities we're working on. People are not looking for handouts. People are, people want to be providing, uh, you know, on their own. And so that's where, you know, we, we need to be looking at economies and we need to be looking at how we're building that out um, to, to, yeah, to drive that change uh, on a broader scale, mm. uh, you know, and, you know, this, this, this small fund that I was involved with isn't on its own going to, going to really move the needle, but it's, um, you know, something we, we talked about a lot was, you know, how can we, how can we prove that this is something that is actually having an impact and is driving change and, and to bring other players in um, so that we can, can build this up to be more of a global uh, movement and, and, and a broader movement where we have some of these players who have this power um, who can be making, you know, appropriate investments and leveraging their capital in ways that are, that are actually driving system change and not just, you know, not just the handout, the handout model that, that mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to get drawn into, right? Um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's coming from a place of, uh, you know, of wanting to support and wanting to help and seeing a need and trying to fill it, but it's, uh, it can get skewed pretty quickly uh, and pretty dangerously a lot of the time. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brad, Brad, do you want to, I just want to ask uh, if you can speak a little further to that view or that shift away from the poor being lazy to the poor actually do know what they need or the, the poor actually, um, you know, should have a voice at the table uh, for their own well-being. Um, like I'm, I'm hearing that there needs to be more trust or that trust needs to increase from those of privilege to those without. Um, how do we how do we increase that level of trust? And I mean, if, if we just talk about inclusion from a gospel perspective, if God embraces everyone and opens up, you know, we could say salvation opens up life to everyone. Um, and we could think, oh, hey, that payday loan lender is a part of that everyone. <laughs> There's a huge level of trust there, allowing that payday loan lender into the into the, you know, into the kingdom. Um, and at the same time, you know, inviting that, uh, you know, the person who has, you know, no savings and huge debt and no access to um, employment. Um, how do we build that level of trust where those of us with privilege can say, yes, I, I am happy to let go of some or even give full control of my money 
to God and say, hey, um, what, what should be best done? I mean, I, I think there is an, an othering that happens here where there's mm. this, this other type of person who, uh, who lives in these conditions or who, um, you know, doesn't make the same decisions that I do. Uh, and, and we try to distance ourselves from that because we don't want to be associated with, with that group. And I think, uh, you know, as Christians, we are called to step out of our bubble. Uh, we were called to never be in a bubble, but, um, and to engage with them on a daily basis. And we just don't, um, mm. it's easy not to, our, our society is set up in a way that we don't have to on any kind of regular basis, um, you know, meet somebody who's, who's living, you know, in that bottom, you know, 10% of, of income earners, um, you know, they live in another part of the city and they work in different places. Uh, you know, we just don't see them. And so, so you, you, you will quickly, we're, we're designed to kind of quickly build up um, a way to place them in a box that, that fits with our worldview uh, and to just kind of leave them there. Um, but I think what we need to be doing is, is stepping in and engaging with them. And like you said, Zach, inviting them in to, to our spaces uh, and to our communities. Um, and you, you see pretty quickly when you start to have those relationships, those, those barriers get broken down and those misperceptions, um, you know, evaporate pretty quickly. Once you start to meet somebody who's living in those situations, like, Oh, you're, you're a lot like me, you know, on, on almost every level, uh, maybe except for, um, privilege, right. You, you, you came from different beginnings than I did. Uh, and that's why there's this chasm between our, uh, you know, our level of income. And that's often all it is. Right. So. Mm -hmm. That reminds me, um, I don't even know who said it now. There's so many quotes that roll around in my head, but something about we go to the edges so that there's no more edges, right? We go to the margins so that, that anyone who is at the margins, and we are all speaking from people who are not at margins, none of us, right? Yeah. So we can speak honestly about that and say, what does it mean to then go to margins and make it so that these are like, the word kinship is in my head. Like how do we economically live in kinship with one another? I love the image of the river flowing and not, holding it back, utilizing the power it does have, creating like, and then I'm, I'm going with this metaphor where the, the river, you know, if you, you put one of those wheels in it and it creates power and it, it, uh, grind, I'm just being goofy now. The mill no, I mean, grind that, on the river, do you know what I mean? But like, yeah, the, yeah, so yeah. we can use it, but then let it just keep going so that other people can use it too. Um, anyways, I'm just been thinking about, yeah. The othering, that's an important thing. And there's a, a part of it of inviting people into our space, but also us going to that space too and, and being able to, so there, yeah, if we dwell together, there aren't the margins. Anyways, that's a thought I had there. Mm -hmm. Jeff, do you want to, do you want to uh, jump in there just about the harnessing of wealth? Because we can talk about the river that's moving. If it's moving, then yeah, you can, you can harness that to push the metaphor mm -hmm. as, as Jackie has. <laughs> yeah, that's the, 
when you asked about the or commented on like the trust um, and then bringing say a payday lender in like that's where it does uh it's on the kind of other side of the margin right like it's mm-hmm. i'd say most payday lane payday loan companies high cost credit companies have fairly significant resources not all like some are locally owned small providers and i know that like one payday loan company uh in calgary was really mad at us and, and they said oh you say you support local businesses and small businesses and these rules are going to put us under mm-hmm. but the majority of payday loan companies are fairly large, substantial corporations that have some significant capital attached to them. And so that does put the push the trust factor a little bit. So it made me think about um, from a biblical perspective, one of the ways that like was described as sort of keeping that money flowing was the year of Jubilee. So I wonder if in the year of Jubilee, like what the trust factor was of like the major landowners at that time in Israel, would they have had enough trust in the collective that they were willing to give up some of their wealth um, and not feel resentful and not try to hoard or find the loophole? Because like we in our system now, we have a year of Jubilee every year around April and it's our tax system. Hmm. Um, and there's massive redistribution and people could argue we should have more redistribution than we currently have or less, but the tax system is a tool of redistribution of resources, uh, and a way to sort of harness the resources that are created in a country. And then to a certain extent, arguable of whether that's the right level or not get redistributed. But what happens, I think from a trust factor now is, um, People don't necessarily trust the public government uh, collection of those resources and then the government role and redistribution of where it goes. Mm. So I think that is interesting to think about the trust factor, not just on the people that are on the margins, but on the Mm. people with the resources. And sometimes those resources that are maybe getting created in ways that's not arguably the best harnessing Mm. of that money or that wealth. Um, and is maybe done in a little less ethical ways. And that's where the trust factor could really be strained. But it does make me wonder of like, if there was a payday lender, because there would have been loans, I'm pretty sure at the biblical times, mm-hmm. there's describing the idea of lending. Uh, and if some of those loans were really high cost um, and usury from the biblical right. language, uh, whether or not that lender would have had enough trust in the system that they were in at that time to not resent the year of Jubilee. Well, you can think of it directly as, you know, Hey, you have a field. I rent that field. I develop that field. That field is now a massive orchard that I have worked on for 25 years and now the year of Jubilee and now it's your orchard. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. That's, that's nice. (laughs) but but really what you're describing in that trust is both sides of that economic spectrum of full free market no regulation can i trust that everyone is going to treat everyone well and not hoard two can i trust the government or whatever structure we have in place to redistribute that wealth in an ethical or you know reliable way um, that is going to serve everyone like that 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 really is both sides and i can Mm -hmm. hear 
loud on my social media, both sides mm-hmm. as well. And yeah, it's interesting. What, what level of trust do I have in, in either of those systems? Mm. Um, and maybe, maybe those systems just aren't great reflections of us. Yeah. I don't know. Brad, did you, you looked like you wanted to jump in. Well, just this idea of trusting the wealth holders uh, or managers, um, we can we can take a similar approach, and I, I, I know maybe speaking personally, I sometimes take a similar approach to uh, to saying, well, you know, they they are out to out to get these populations that they're working with. You know, the government is mismanaging, um, and you know they're they're just a bunch of cronies, right? Um, but when you when you actually engage with them. Um, they might be coming from a similar place that we are and actually having a heart that they are wanting to support. I remember, um, you know, talking to, um, somebody who was managing a bunch of payday loan shops. This was a number of years ago and they genuinely seemed to believe, and it may have is clearly misguided, but that they, that they were providing a vital service for the populations they served because these people could not access capital any other way that they were the last line and if they weren't there that these people would just be uh you know you know dropping off and um and you see this with a lot of it and and here in canada this you know payday loans have have a reputation but when you when you start to look overseas and you look at the microfinance um organizations (laughs) these publicly traded massive um operations who are charging the same degree of interest as the payday loans and are putting people into some really challenging spots. There are great stories that come from that as well. Um, but, and, and they're, and they're coming at it from a heart of wanting to help, but they can often cause a lot of harm uh, and extract a lot of, um, a lot of wealth and effort and, um, and be destructive. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, yeah, we, we assume that they're coming from one place that um, that may not may not actually be reflecting their their true intentions. Yeah. So. And Zach, I think you know when you describe the spectrum, right? Of and we oftentimes make it too polarized of a spectrum of like the really like free market capitalism and then more of the socialism on the other end of the spectrum, and and forget that it's a spectrum and not these like two polar opposites and that there's lots of models in in between that are much more of the cooperative based economy that isn't necessarily as state orientated as socialism, but still a bit more commonly uh, grounded versus individually grounded of maybe the extreme of free market capitalism. But we have mentioned uh, through the conversation that we're living in imperfect systems and systems are just made up of people. And if we take sort of the Christian view that like you can see goodness in most things or like you can kind of experience God everywhere and see some goodness in everything. We know there's goodness Mm. in both ends of that extreme spectrum and there's lots of goodness all along the spectrum, but they're all systems made up of people. And we also know that humans uh, based on the fall are broken and will do dumb uh, and oftentimes mean things. And sometimes we'll just make mistakes, uh, that are not ill-intentioned, um, and could be from a place of misunderstanding or, or being misguided, like feeling like you're doing really good in payday lending or in international microfinance, which Brad is right, that has 
as much negative impact mm. at times and has as high of interest rates as any, and oftentimes higher than any high cost loans that we see in Canada. And so we make mistakes. And so there's, that's the challenge that we live in and where the tension is, is that there's goodness in, in all of those forms of economic uh, structure or system. And there's also brokenness. That's, that really leads me to, I'm, and this might be our last question, but leads me to just wonder, we talked a little bit then discernment. This is an imperfect stuff we're talking about. So how do we best discern with each decision, each individually our money decisions and then uh, community wise? So my question to you guys is, what is your best tool for discernment? Like, how do you gauge whether if it's a good thing, something that will benefit people how what is your tool for discernment that you guys are kind of working with i guess i don't have a tool mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I wish i did that would be a lovely thing right um just a, an online checklist yeah and, okay yeah here yes. we go uh, checklists would just be great in so many ways yeah, yeah. discerned no but yeah. um <laughs> I, I think it comes back to the idea of recognizing who the beneficiary is, who are we actually trying to, to support or help or um, change things for, um, and making sure that their voice is at the table, right? Uh, mm. make, making sure that we, we understand the impacts that uh, we're having on them. And this can, this can become super overwhelming when you start to look at your spending habits and, okay, is this pair of shoes that I'm buying produce that? You know, it can, it can be really, you can get overwhelmed pretty quickly yeah. um, with, with, those kinds of decisions. Um, it's easier if you just spend less, turns out. Um, but um, but that, that's what I look for on a broad scale, I would say, is, you know, is this, is this company, uh, who, who's, what does our board look like? Uh, you know, what, is, what, um, what, are the, what are the stories that they're putting out there? Um, representing and are are the voices of those who are um you know supposedly benefiting being being heard and driving um decision making do they have a degree of agency in what's happening um yeah that's good no i like that that's kind of what i mean yeah that's a that is a discernment thing like hmm let me think always about the people at the table who's there whose voices yeah yeah I would just add that uh, it does, I don't think it does anyone any good to operate from a place of guilt or feeling really mm. bad. I think it's good for every, anyone to recognize that it's super complex. It's like trying to be as sustainable as you can be. There's, you can two steps forward and you're probably going to take one step back. Mm. Um, and so I don't think the goal shouldn't be anywhere near perfection. It's that if we each try to be maybe a little bit more conscious of how we're making decisions around money. And that can be just like Brad said, it could be actually just spending slightly less that maybe that would have a, you'd have a little bit more to uh, give away and to let it keep flowing. Or that could be to save. And then when you save is to give a little bit of thought of where is that savings going to go? Where would it invest in? Um, and then if you do decide to spend, um, just doing a, maybe a little bit more thought in terms of what business, uh, is that 
um, money going to be spent in? And I know there's um, some campaigns around just a 10% shift. And just thinking a little bit around if you can shift just 10% of your spending to be spent with businesses that are either more local or even better, a bit more local and social and environmentally orientated, um, that that can really start to make a big difference. Mm. And I really think it ultimately comes down to just trying to pay attention to where that source of the money comes from and to not feel like it's just ours. Mm. And I remember once it was a number of years ago where, um, a gentleman who actually used to go to the church that uh, I went to at the time, he did a like really significant donation to momentum. And it was the first mm-hmm. time he'd ever donated to momentum. And I was blown away. Like I was shocked with the level of generosity. And I remember like when I saw the amount, I almost fell off my chair. And so I, I called him and then I sent him a, a quick thank you email and he wrote me back and he just, all he wrote, it was like this really short line. He's a busy guy. And it was just like, well, it's all God's money. It's all good. Huh. <laughs> and so like you could tell pretty bluntly that like he had at the forefront of his thinking of where that source comes from. So even though he does have significant financial means, but he is keeping that perspective in terms of where does it come from? So he would be in relative speaking, someone that has sort of a raging river of money coming by him versus the trickle of someone that is experiencing um, living in poverty. But he has some awareness that he probably has significant means compared to a lot of other people. And then he's remembering where it comes from. Hmm. And he's not um, in this, in this example, giving from a place of guilt. It was just a place of, uh, I believe, fairly genuine generosity. Right. And so I think those are just a few ways to help with that discernment process because it's it's not easy right. and we're none of us will ever be perfect in terms of how we think about and deal with our money. But we mm-hmm. can all just try maybe a little bit more and just try the best we can. I I appreciate that so much. I think, like you said, it's so complex. And when you talk about money, you're talking about power. You're talking about privilege. You're talking about how our culture, I mean, we kept, Jeffy kind of kept referring like to 400 years back when we are starting this colonial thing called, um, you know, discovering new worlds and, and it's all shaped and we are now in the space where we're trying to figure out how we best do this all together. Um, and I know we're not going to get it perfect, but I really value even just how you both spoke about, um, like the real people's voices. And I think that's where this, this links in for me with an idea of an embodied faith where we are taking seriously each body even and what their experience is, what my experience is and also what this person's experience is and how does that best lead to how we um, hold this, our wealth, our well-being, how we, how we can contribute that to one another in this way. I, it's, it's helpful for me. I'm not a money person. Like I've, like you maybe think in those terms probably more than I do. I read poetry and I <laughs> go for walks. Like I never think in these terms. Um, and yet I know that is a fundamental reality of my life too, of all of our lives. It, it's, it, it's all wrapped up in there anyway. So I'm really thankful. Zach, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, uh, you mentioned guilt and immediately I thought, Oh, and anxiety because so Jesus talks about rest 
and not worrying and all of these things. Um, I appreciate that a lot, like the work, both the types of work that you guys do actually alleviate a lot of anxiety. Do we, is it fair to say, and I mean, I do, I, I, I speak in polarizing things just because I want to get out. I want to dig deep and try to sift out what, what's out there. Um, but do we substitute money to avoid uh, just even trusting that source to begin with? Because um, if I have enough, then I don't really have to worry about anything. Uh, I've got a great healthcare system or I've got insurance or I've got, you know, whatever. Um, do we, do we substitute money? And this, this would be the idolatry bit. Um, and then how do we do that well where, I mean, I still need money to go buy that pair of shoes, um, ethically and, you know, mm -hmm. environmentally friendly and all that stuff, but I still need that money and I need to trust. So where's mm -hmm. that balance? Yeah, I would agree that they're very linked. That oftentimes I do feel people um, will uh, try to have as much money as they feel they need to have to have that sense of control and then reduce the worry. And sometimes it is probably driven from um, a lack of trust in something bigger. I know that's an impact for my, my dad. My dad, uh, non-faith background for his entire life, like didn't grow up in a... Uh, family of any faith and his dad his dad my grandfather was a pretty avowed atheist and uh and so it's definitely shaped how my dad views money and my dad's someone that um has is high anxiety and then when i contrast it to um my father-in-law and the experiences that he's had and has like a pretty strong imprint of a christian worldview and then had life experiences that really forced him to have trust when it comes to money issues going bankrupt. Uh, his business went bankrupt when he was in his early forties and five young kids mm. from Mercy. probably 10 to one, I think, uh, with the ages of those kids. And so his view of money is very different and he lives in a place of generosity. And, and I was talking to him actually just a couple of weeks ago about that experience. And he's like, but you know, business went bankrupt, but I never really was without, I was never in that much of a scarcity. I had a job I could go to almost the next day. So yes, I lost all my assets, but I had the new source of income coming in right away because of um, some privilege that he had in his in his life that he had a brother that was able to hire him right away mm. and and then he still has a perspective of uh, being low anxiety about money because I think he's a person that does do a good job of keeping in mind the source of those funds and so you know he's joked with me right now of how his RSP being retired um, how he's had the massive drop with the market decline and he's like well you know, we'll be okay. Like he's just, he's not that worried. He's not living in a place of anxiety. So I do think those are really, uh, really linked. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And, and I mean, on the flip side of that, I think what you, you sometimes see with, um, with individuals who have never worried about money, um, who, who have never experienced that anxiety, um, 
having having wealth can really eliminate a lot of other anxieties that you that you may have, but there are some that it can't, right? I mean, and I think right. of you know, health issues that that could come along, and you 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 often see people that this these these health issues strike them as like this massive crisis because they they don't have control, right? It's mm. it's having that you know accumulation. Um, gives you enough control that you can you can manage your circumstances most of the time, right? And um, yeah, yeah. learning to 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 hold it loosely, um, and and having an, you know even experience of of being without and having to trust in the system, in the community, or in whatever it is, um, can really allow you to to ride out some of those other areas where you know, we just don't have control. And I mean, I think our perception of control is, is flawed. Um, mm. and we, you know, we, we have a belief that we are in more control than we are uh, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I think on the flip side, we also feel like we have less control than we do sometimes um, mm. as a society. But um, yeah, having, having that experience of being without or, or being willing to be without, I think, can really set us up to um, to ride out those those later those later experiences we might have. Our recording today has been done online as we are temporarily locked out of the Calgary Central Library and locked into our homes due to the pandemic. Music graciously provided by Jennifer Oikawa. Check out Escape Plan to Canada by the Jen Oikawa Trio. One thing we'd like to develop more of is a conversation with our listeners. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, find us on Instagram at the podcast made flesh no spaces or on facebook like our page and follow us get all our updates support us by rating us and reviewing us on your favorite podcast platform